We're now joined by Catherine Maitland, Professor of Tropical Paediatric Infectious Diseases at Imperial College London. She's been based in East Africa for the last 14 years. Kath is a lead author on an RCT questioning the best speed of res fluid resuscitation in children with fever and shock in a low-resource setting. Writing in the BMJ analysis section, Kath has concerns about how the results of the trial are being translated into clinical practice. Kath, can you tell us a bit about the trial and what you learnt about the best way to resuscitate children? Um, so we conducted a, um, a clinical trial um, in East Africa in, in, in 300, well, over 300 children. Um, the trial was called FEAST and it was examining early fluid resuscitation um, in children with shock due to severe infections. So that largely inc um, included children with sepsis, ch children with malaria, so the very, very common conditions that c come into um, hospitals across Africa. We excluded um, children who had severe malnutrition and gastroenteritis. Um, we were um, examining fluid resuscitation um, at the time. Um, this was not widely being used by doctors. Whilst there was a recommendation by the WHO um, to, to give fluid resuscitation, most doctors were not using this uh, intervention because they were rather anxious about its safety. So we really needed to test whether this intervention was going to to save lives. Obviously, it's, it's been recommended for the last two decades or two or three decades um, for um, uh, shock um, in many different conditions. What was the consensus on the ground at the time? Were doctors expecting that it was going to be harmful? They were very anxious. Useful, they or? were anxious that... A lot of the children who came into the trial were unconscious. They were breathing fast. They were breathing fast because they had acidosis. Um, I think doctors had thought that they were breathing fast because they had heart failure. Um, and that's what. I, and so there was quite a lot of anxiety about giving large doses of fluids to, to these children. And obviously quite a number of children, not all, but a number of children had severe anemia. So th there wasn't... Um, there was definitely equipoise at the point of when the, the patients were being en enrolled. Um, so that was why they, you know, um, we put in a lot of monitoring to ensure that at one hour, two hours, eight hours, that the doctors not just looked for whether the shock had corrected, but also they were looking for the, whether they demonstrated signs of fluid overload. They were looking for pulmonary edema, signs of heart failure, signs of brain swelling. So we were really not just looking for whether they corrected shock but also looking for the side effects of the intervention we did a what I haven't explained is we did a controlled trial so we had um, three arms one arm was um, um, having saline boluses uh, another arm was albumin and then the control arm only had maintenance um, between three and four mils per kilo per hour uh, the bolus arms received 20 mils in the first hour um, and at one hour they would be re-examined if they were still in shock they would receive one more bolus and beyond that um, and also for the, the control arm um, any extra fluid or any extra boluses were only given to children with very severe hypotension as we had um, and one of the reasons why we designed the protocol like that is because we had no access to intensive care so we did not want to fluid overload the children so we wanted to be relatively conservative mm -hmm. and what did you find so we um uh we had um, had, um five interim analyses by the data safety and monitoring board 
um, the, the trial had been designed um, allowing for an arm to drop. So we were expecting quite early on um, that perhaps if the control arm was inferior, it would be dropped and then we would go ahead and look at albumin versus saline. But the control arm was not being dropped. And so we thought, well, maybe we're not giving enough at the beginning because these children are pretty sick. Maybe we should be giving a higher bolus. So we had a protocol amendment after the fourth interim analysis and we increased that initial bolus from 20 mils per kilo to 40 mils per kilo. Um, and then six months later, after the fifth interim analysis is when I got a phone call by the DMC. Now, this is a very experienced DMC. They do not stop trials. And so I was very um, surprised that they said, we, we are going to recommend to the trial steering committee that you stop the trial. And, and they were very clear that the um, fluid boluses could be of no benefit. Um, they then went on to say, well, in fact, we have seen um, a substantial evidence of harm um, that um, in the bolus arms, uh, the um, uh, both albumin and saline had a 10.6% uh, mortality um, versus an, um, a 7.3% in the control arm. How um, did you feel taking that phone call? Uh, um, I was absolutely devastated. I could hardly stay on the line. I was felt, I, I was in tears. I was, um, it was the culmination of a whole decade of research um, and I thought I will never be able to go back into those hospitals. I persuaded the, 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 um, the doctors to, to start giving fluid resuscitation because I thought it was going to save lives and actually I've shown the opposite. Um, however, the DMC went on to say that actually uh, the overall mortality in the trial was much lower than the the prior uh, mortality. So every single child that went into that trial probably had a better outcome than they wouldn't than they would have done if they hadn't been um, treated in a trial. And this is this is the effect of just um, um, part of the bundle of care that we gave um, uh, the boluses where um, we instituted it all of the other aspects of that bundle of care but it was um, the bolus that was the only thing that was different and obviously a higher in the um, the bolus arms rather than the control so I felt more reassured by the fact that they felt that um, we estimated that the baseline mortality and, and also based on data was around 20 percent between 15 and 20 percent so it was in general lower so not only was had the outcome overall been better for the child, all of the children in the trial, but it meant that children in future, um, we hoped, would not receive fluid boluses because this was obviously harmful in these settings. So what's happened since the trial? How have the findings played out in clinical practice? So we were very fortunate fortunate that we had a, a meeting just the following that and we decided that rather than because we said shall we disseminate the results now i.e this week and I felt and, and we all felt that people wouldn't believe them but we then contacted the New England Journal and they and we had it submitted within um, literally six weeks of the trial of the trial closure and um, and obviously out in um, in press within three months so it was a very they did a very rapid review of that and we, we got it out into the public domain um, we'd already previously communicated with the WHO saying we're doing this trial be aware that you know we think that it's going to report in 2011 um, so sent them a preprint um, um, an embargoed preprint so that it wouldn't be a surprise so they would be prepared for the result um, 
subsequent to that, we've sent them many, we've sent them a, a policy brief, we've sent them a lot of unpublished data, um, sub-analyses, um, and really they've said that we're just taking our time to look at this data, um, and, and obviously it does take time to look at evidence. So we were quite disappointed by that because we were aware that for every hundred children who were being treated with fluid boluses between three and four would die as a result of that fat therapy and nobody would none of them would benefit so and that's the guidance that the WHO currently have for their gold standard yes um and so um but other organizations didn't respond like that the um Médecins Sans Frontières um and they're a very large complex organization um um, commissioned a systematic review. They called together um, um, all of its uh, heads of um, their units and in a meeting they voted to change their guidelines and their guidelines changed in less than a year after the trial. So it, it, it shows you that it can be possible to do an evidence review and also change your guidelines. Um, a meeting of uh, uh, um, at least 10 different countries, paediatricians in Nairobi in 2012, um, um, culminated in them writing a letter to the WHO saying we've seen the evidence we want to change our guidelines please can you change your guidelines because largely the WHO guidelines are what it are, it, it are followed um, by most African countries. Really? Yeah. You've obviously felt quite upset that the WHO haven't altered things sooner what did you think of their response when BMJ put your concerns to them? I, well, so to begin with, we were rather surprised that they were taking some time and we were um, anxious that they hadn't commissioned a review and we're very pleased to now hear that a, a, a review of the evidence has been commissioned. Um, I, um, I see that you have obviously asked them a, um, a series of questions um, and I think they've responded positively by saying, yes, we're reviewing the evidence, but... For them to say, well, actually that is going to take another year um, um, and we're only going to actually change the guidelines on, um, uh, on our website but not the actual booklet, which is what doctors have in their pocket for the next five years. That means that children's lives will be lost because if... Um, the other, the other issue is that doctors who have heard of the FEAST trial results are very confused. They're wondering why the WHO have not changed their guidelines and they don't really know how to, you know, whether to actually give the results or not. So it's there, it has created a lot of confusion at the point of uh, when doctors are treating um, patients in, um, children in Africa. Yes, yeah, I can imagine. What do you think should happen from here? Do you have a plan? Because you've been advocating on this issue very hard since the trial came out. Do you think there's any more to do? Well, I, mean, I, well, I think, I mean, obviously it shouldn't be just the FEAST trial group. It should be other groups and, and definitely the, um, and that's been um, evidenced by the um, Médecins Sans Frontières changing their guidelines by paediatricians in Africa asking them to change their guidelines. So I hope it doesn't look like this is a personal quest. But I, I just would really wish, and I, I want to, you know, feel, I know that we're all on the same side, we all want to save lives in Africa, that actually that the review happens quickly and, um, and that they 
um, agree that the guidelines do need to be changed. I think we just if you step back from it to say, well, what was the evidence beforehand? They've suggested that we need another trial. We, you can't change guidelines on a, on the basis of one single trial. Um, the base um, behind this is that very very weak evidence base that fluids boluses um, uh, are of benefit. Um, it, it's rated as a strong recommendation based on weak evidence. Um, expert review largely. Um, and this is the only controlled trial. It was large, it was multi-centre, and it was entirely consistent across all the subgroups. So that is very, very high quality evidence. And many other guidelines have been changed on such evidence before. And, and criticism, ha I mean, they were concerned that they may be criticised by changing their guidelines on a single trial. But um, we think that this is the best quality evidence that's available until another trial is done. Kath, we've been talking about fluid resuscitation in developing countries, but does the trial have any broader relevance to doctors in more developed countries? This is an important result. Um, the evidence for fluid resuscitation globally is poor. Um, it should prompt research in other areas. Um, I think people shouldn't just bury their heads saying this is just only about Africa. In my hands, fluid boluses are safe. Because this is exactly what the doctors thought in the trial. We saw that boluses saved lives. But in fact, when the numbers were, were added up, they didn't. And I think it should prompt um, further research in other centres. I, but I certainly don't think any other guidelines in other centres that are not like uh, um, the African settings where we did this um, should change. But certainly it shouldn't, it should prompt further research um, um, into, uh, you know, whether fluid boluses are um, harmful in other settings. Yes, yeah, so in higher income countries, for example. Sure. And I think, you know, people will say, well, they're not harmful here because we can transfer children to the intensive care unit. Um that's that might be the case, but um, that's you know a, a day on an intensive care unit is a very expensive day, uh, as far as the health services um, are concerned. It, you know, I think there there is an, a, quite a number of paediatricians who would like to do another trial, but obviously it would have to be a very large trial, and um, because paediatric sepsis overall the mortality is relatively low. Thanks, Kath, for joining us. That was Catherine Maitland joining us to talk about the FEAST trial, and that paper is now available on bmj.com. <laughs>